This podcast is brought to you by ReformationSites.com, church websites for a modern Reformation. Hear more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman. I'm Professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College in beautiful Western Pennsylvania. Here with my old friend, Reverend Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. That's a PCUSA congregation, Todd? Or a- no, no, we're still PCA, but you know, you never know. <laughs> I was going to say, it's going to be a pretty fine distinction, but we'll, we'll allow you to, to still be it's, PCA. It's more an aesthetic distinction, it's, it's really. aesthetic. Yeah. Okay, yeah. He's, he's PCA, uh, PCA <laughs> pastor in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And I'm here with a former colleague and good friend of mine, uh, Sandy Finnison. I was going to call you the Reverend Sandy Finnison there, but you are actually the irreverent Sandy Finnison. <laughs> Sandy was one of my elders uh, when I was pastor at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Amblet in Pennsylvania. Also librarian at Westminster Theological Seminary. We were colleagues for many years. And Sandy uh, and I share a denominational background. Both of us served as elders in the Free Church of Scotland. And for those of you who want to know what the Free Church of Scotland is, it is the Presbyterian denomination that was founded in 1843 by what was known as the Disruption, a a breakaway of about a third of the Church of Scotland ministers to form a separate denomination, the Free Church of Scotland, led by a group of men headed by a man called Thomas Chalmers. And Sandy has devoted much of his academic life to reading and writing on the Disruption Divines, the men who led that first generation of the Free Church of Scotland. And he's recently published a book on Thomas Chalmers, the the presiding genius in many ways of the disruption. The book is entitled Chief Scottish Man, The Life and Ministry of Thomas Chalmers. It's published by Evangelical Press. And it's a great pleasure to have you on the program today, Sandy, to talk to us about the book and about the man himself. Thank you very much to both of you for having me on. It's a great privilege and honor to to be with you. We know, we know. We've, we've, <laughs> your life is about to change forever, man. You have I, no I idea of what is coming your way. <laughs> yeah, if you people have, are going to be throwing money at you now, yeah, Sandy. I was going to wow. say, if you had thirty Twitter followers at the start of the day, you'll have less than six by the time this program airs. I'm sure. I don't even know what Twitter is. <laughs> we are kindred spirits. You'll be telling me you don't have a TikTok channel next. I do not. <laughs> now, it's possible that many of our American readers will not be familiar with the name of Thomas Chalmers. So please uh, give us an introduction to the life and significance of this great Scottish man. His efforts to revive the 
established Church of Scotland become overshadowed by a bitter dispute uh, in the church over the issue of who has the right to call parish ministers. There are folk who think that the, the local patron should be allowed to call the parish minister. There are those who think um, that it should be up to the congregation to call the minister. And so there is a major dispute that goes on at this level. Um, ultimately, what comes to be known as the disruption of 1843, where Chalmers leads over a third of the clergy and perhaps as many as half the lay membership out of the Church of Scotland to protest against what he perceived as, uh, they perceived as undue state interference in church affairs. And again, particularly around the issue of who had the right to call ministers. So they formed the Free Church and Chalmers devotes his last years to building the new denomination and serving as principal of the Free Church College. A little about him personally. I was going to ask uh, a you, question, though. I was going to ask, sure. Sandy, yeah. um, when you think about Chalmers and the, and the various conflicts he was involved in and, and had to kind of lead through, it's interesting to me because uh, when I was reading your book, um, that was the first time I'd read anything specifically about his 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 earlier life in terms of mm-hmm. th- this was not a young man who lacked confidence. No. Um, he was very, very confident in his skills as a thinker and a leader and his opinions, very strong in his opinions. And you even mentioned, you know, as as a as a very young clergyman who who found a way to kind of get around the rules that you had to be a certain age before you were, you know, he, he seemed to always have a skill to kind of get around things and get his way. But of course, then he was converted and converted through just the simple preaching of the gospel. Amazing how that happens. But, you know, I was caused to think about, um, you know, off, oftentimes it seems the Lord will use um, someone like a Chalmers who unsanctified could probably be a, a real horse's rear end. Um, but but uses a man like that, and again in a, in a sanctified way, to have to push through things that maybe someone with with less you know fiber in their back you know might shrink from. Chalmers didn't seem to be a guy who was going to shrink though from from the conflicts that he that he had to deal with if if they were going to deal with some of these issues. But you know, am I making sense here? That it it seems I, I see this common threat often, not always, but oftentimes of a guy who, you know, the Lord sanctifies, not perfectly, but but uses a guy with that kind of a confidence, if you will. Yeah, he, he, he was a man possessed with evident gifts and great self-confidence. Yeah. Um, he was also someone who was very determined. He didn't take no for an answer very often. Um, on the downside, though, he didn't suffer fools gladly. Right. And I think he, I mean, there's evidence to suggest at certain points of his career that he actually managed to lose people who might have been his supporters. Had he been a little more careful in some of the things that he said and did. So there's kind of two sides to the coin here. And that's, something obviously we can learn from today yeah, and, and, you yeah. know, and, and guys who are kind of wired like me that, that tend to be kind of a crusader personality 
have to constantly be reminded that yeah. um, the, the, the balance between having influence and uh, uh, saying everything you want to say exactly the way you want to say it. When you want to yeah. say it. Sometimes yeah. those things have to be uh, considered yeah. together. Yeah. And Chalmers, like any confident leader with the good parts of that and the not so good parts of that had to, uh, had, had to reckon with those, those challenges in his own personality, I'm sure, particularly. And, and this is, I think something that, that's hard for, you know, as I was reading your book, I was reminded of how different things are in terms of, when when you're a church leader in Scotland in those days, you're not just a leader of a church. You know, you're involved in government. Yes, uh, your your public life is is intertwined with this in ways that Americans can't understand at all. Well, I yeah. thought you were Scottish, Todd. Surely it would be. <laughs> I, I you, am so. Scottish, but you know, I'm, I'm like a man out of time. I'm like Paul. You know. Uh, okay. Just, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't I didn't go into this in sort of my my introduction, but you have to understand that the Church of Scotland is an established church. There's right. a direct link between the church and the government. So yeah. he's dealing with government authorities in dealing with issues of funding parishes, building right. churches, um, caring for the poor, all those kinds of things. Right. Um, and, you know, again, you can argue whether or not that's a good thing or not, um, but that is the reality. Right. And the other thing that is hard for 21st century Christians to get our minds around, I think, is that as a minister in the church, it gave you a certain level of exposure and it gave you a platform that people today just don't have um, because it was respected. It right. was held in high regard. And I've noticed that um, so, some of the, the guys I'm acquainted with in the Presbyterian world who, who have done a, a lot of reading of, of and about Chalmers um, are drawn to him and, and for good reason in terms of the intelligence with, went, with which he went about his engagement in the public sector. And, and he's still known for that today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And the other thing that I think is important to say about him is that he wasn't afraid to tackle all kinds of issues. Right. Um, if you look at his collected writings, which I think run to 25 or 30 volumes, I mean, mm -hmm. he was a he was a prolific writer. Right. Um, and he touched on topics as he talked about science, he talked about economics, he talked about what we would call political science and mm -hmm. sociology, as well as biblical studies and right. theology. So he, he really, in some ways, was a polymath. Right. He's also, I think, the only Presbyterian pastor mentioned by Karl Marx in Das Kapital. Uh, <laughs> also the Arch Parson. Yes, he was very influenced by Thomas Malthus, who was, of course, uh, a bad guy in Marx's yeah. firmament. Now, yeah. now I, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that Marx did not refer to Chalmers in a complimentary way. No, 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 no. He was, he, was, he was a Malthusian. But because <laughs> yeah. Marx and Engels were very familiar with a lot of parish literature because where they got their information about the human cost of the Industrial Revolution tended mm -hmm. to come from reports written by churchmen like Chalmers. His parish would have been small, and then the Industrial Revolution hits and the parish remains the same size, but you've suddenly got 10, 15, 100 times as many people crammed right. into the same room building. So 
uh, Engels and, and Marx read a lot of parish reports. Mm -hmm. um, There's one other thing I'd just like to interject here about Chalmers that I think is part of the reason he was able to do all the things that he did. And that is that he had a very happy, contented home life. Mm. His wife, Grace, was a remarkable woman. Um, she essentially ran the the parishes for him in terms of he, she was essentially his secretary. She was also um, managed all of his publishing contracts and those kinds of things. They had a very happy marriage. And uh, I think that's, that's really important if you're, if you're trying to get a picture of the whole man. I was going to ask you, this is a different, it's a charmer's topic, but it's one we talked about this on Saturday, Sandy, uh, that intrigues me. Edward Irving sometimes looked at as a kind of proto-charismatic thinker. Edward Irving was this fascinating figure who was at one time Chalmers' assistant. Ultimately, of course, his ecclesiastical career ends really in tragedy with him being booted out of the church. And, and Chalmers is noticeably quiet on the Edward Irving question. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about Chalmers and Irving. It's a fascinating vignette of another dimension of Chalmers' life and another dimension of 19th century Presbyterianism. Irving served for two years as the assistant minister at St. John's Parish, which was the second parish that uh, Chalmers had in Glasgow. Um, and in addition to his preaching, he spent a lot of time on parish visitation. And during this relatively brief period, Chalmers develops a very deep personal fondness for Irving. Um, and he was to retain that for the rest of his life. As you've alluded to, Carl, I mean, Edward's subsequent career is really a tragic story of 19th century Scottish church history. After Irving leaves Glasgow, he serves a church in London where he develops pronounced premillennial views on the second coming of Christ. Mm. And he teaches these views with eloquence and passion. He also begins to teach ideas that would be precursor of the modern Pentecostal movement stress on the supernatural gifts of the spirit. Um, more alarmingly, he develops and starts teaching a heretical view of the incarnation. Hmm. Uh, he believes that Jesus's human nature was exactly like that of all other people, including the fact that Jesus had, in Irving's words, innate sinful propensities. Goodness. Now, he would go on to stress that Jesus was completely indwelt by the Holy Spirit from the moment of his conception, which enables him to live a holy life. Now, not surprisingly, uh, his critics pointed out that if Jesus had a sinful human nature, he too needed a savior and thus was in no position to be offered as the perfect atonement for sin. Um, so, Irving begins to teach those things. There's major controversy. Um, his case makes its way through the ecclesiastical courts, and he is deposed from the ministry in 1833 and goes on to be involved in his own church, which was called the Catholic Apostolic Church. Um, Chalmers 
as I said, had a real personal affection for him. There are, there are passages in Chalmers' diaries and his letters where he clearly expresses concern about what Irving is doing and teaching and says there that he thinks Irving has essentially gone off the rails. However, publicly, Chalmers says and does nothing. He keeps his head down. Um, so there are people who, at the time, who are thinking, well, Chalmers, Irving was your assistant. Why aren't you speaking up? Um, you should be distancing yourself from him. And then there are other people who are saying, well, if Irving is your friend, how come you're not rushing to support him? But Chalmers did neither of those things. He just essentially kept quiet. Now, interestingly, after Irving is deposed, the Chalmers family still stay in touch with him and, and do so for many years. I think that what happened here is that Chalmers allowed his personal feelings to get in the way of speaking for truth. Um, in some ways, it's understandable, mm-hmm. but I think it's, it's an episode in Chalmers's life that is a good example that if we are close to people who do fall into error, that we do have an obligation to speak for truth. And Chalmers didn't do it. And um, it's unusual that a man who was so willing to step into the breach so often failed to in that instance. That is exactly correct. Because mm-hmm. Chalmers didn't avoid controversy in this. Thing. Right. He just right. didn't. If anything, uh, some people might say he was too controversial at times. But on, in this one instance, he kept his head down. And I think it's unfortunate. Yeah, definitely. But before we kind of start to wrap up i as as i was reading your descriptions of the state of the church of scotland as as chalmers came of age it was eerily reminiscent of kind of how you know the 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 various tensions in the pca for instance between more moderates and and more evangelical conservatives and uh just just eerily similar in in your descriptions of those groups and of course chalmers but before really uh, grappling with the gospel, the evangel himself uh, would have been very comfortable in that moderate camp, you know, respectable, good paying, perhaps, you know, if you can get it in, you know, parish job, that that sort of thing. And and it was really his exposure to the gospel in, in, in its real clarity that kind of train wrecked him at that point. I mean, he had to he had to change a lot of things and he did. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the the the. The, the juxtaposition of his ministry before and after that real change in him, the, the place that, that, you know, sermon preparation, how that changed yeah. and, and, and those kinds of things. It's amazing what, what the gospel will do <laughs> when it disrupts a life. And, and that was a great uh, simple description you, you gave there um, that challenged me, encouraged me in a lot of ways, but, but reminded me that in terms of those who are in, in, in ministry, um, it, it comes down to the gospel. And, and, and the other thing about his life uh, that I was really challenged by was as he becomes a real gospel man, 
that doesn't reduce his concern, if you like, for the conditions of his neighbors, but in some ways ends up making him far more um, effective um, oh, in speaking into those issues. There's, there's no question. I mean, yeah. his, he, where you see his social conscience mm-hmm. uh, develop, it's after he's converted. And it's after he moves to Glasgow and sees the conditions of grinding poverty and says, the church needs to take action on this. The church cannot look the other way. The church needs to care about people's physical circumstances like the church should care about their souls. Mm. That it's the whole person the church should care for. Um, and to me, that's one of the geniuses of Chalmers is that he, he brought those two elements together, I think, very effectively. That said, the most important thing that Chalmers' sermons get at is what is your spiritual condition before the Lord? Do you know Jesus? Um, And he says again and again in his sermons that it is through our relationship with Christ that the world changes. And he had immense confidence in the gospel. Um, It's unfashionable to say it in the 21st century, but his post-millennial eschatology really had an impact on him. He believed the gospel would change the world. Um, And so he, so he was never afraid to try things because he, he thought, well, if I, if, if I am preaching the gospel and carrying out the implications of the gospel, lives will be changed and the world will change. Yeah. That's great. And, and I, I so appreciated uh, the book. I, I can tell you folks, uh, the, the book is accessible. It is interesting. Um, it was a, a page turner in that sense. It's a, it's a skillfully written biography accessible to, to any decent reader. And, and you will be helped by it. You'll be encouraged by it. You'll be edified by it. And you'll learn some really fascinating things about our heritage that are actually highly rele- uh, relevant to the church uh, today, highly relevant. And um, for that, we, we have Thomas Chalmers to think, but we have Sandy Finlayson to thank for giving us a biography that helps us digest uh, those main points and concerns of the life of this man. The book is Chief Scottish Man, The Life and Ministry of Thomas Chalmers. The author is Sandy Finlayson. And Sandy, thanks for the, uh, the book and thank you for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed talking to you about it. Absolutely. And if you will visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, you can enter to win a copy of this wonderful book. And uh, please do that. And while you're there, consider making a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals so that they can continue to bring you this sort of content. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to being with you next time.
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. The fact that Carl's married to the Scot may mean that he's nicer to the Scots than he typically is to Canadians. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'm glad I'm glad you gave us Rush. I'm glad you gave us Michael J. Fox Rush, but, uh, and William Rush Shatner. Michael Ignatieff. <laughs> he used to do some good TV programs in the UK as well. <laughs> Charles Taylor. I'm um, so sorry I raised uh, this topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. William Shatner's like 95 now or something. It's amazing. Something yeah. like incredible. that, yeah. yeah. Incredible. I think he's being kept alive artificially. Probably. It may be that they have his head in a jar somewhere and it's just being kept animated. I don't know. He'd be a better prime minister than the current oh. <laughs> I'd be a better prime minister than the current <laughs> prime minister. <laughs> so you'd like to do more with your church's website, especially in this day and age when keeping your members and visitors informed is so important. Hi, Eric here from Reformed Media. I've developed Reformation Sites as an easy-to-use website platform to help Reformed churches like yours reach out more effectively. With beautiful mobile-ready designs to choose from, helpful service, and useful features such as Sermon Manager, online bulletins, courses, and notifications, your website will be ready the next time a major event happens. It also integrates with other popular services like Sermon Audio, online donations, and live streaming with pricing that fits into any church budget. Take advantage of this month's special offer of 50% off the website setup fee by using the code 2021 to redeem the offer. The first 30 signups may also receive a free wordmark logo designed for their church. Go to reformationsites.com to get started today or call me, Eric, at 561 561- Nine zero zero six eight eight six to explore the possibilities. Reformation sites, church websites for a modern reformation.